0: So this is Epiphany Sunday, as I said just a moment ago, which is a date on the church calendar 12 days after Christmas, after the birth of Christ, where we celebrate the Magi coming to Bethlehem to encounter the newborn baby Jesus. And so, as has been mentioned probably uh, many times in this church over over the years, when you see a nativity scene that has the wise men at the manger, It's probably a little bit incorrect because the wise men came probably at least a couple of weeks after the birth of Jesus because uh, that's what the scriptures tell us. It tells us that he came after the birth of Jesus, first to Jerusalem to ask where the baby Jesus was and then ultimately to Bethlehem. So it was at least a couple of days journey, Um, but we usually combine it in the nativity scene just to kind of encapsulate the whole story together. But that's why we're doing that uh, this celebration today. January 6th is the 12 days after Christmas, and so this is the Sunday where we commemorate that together. To open up this morning, I want to ask a couple of questions and give you a couple of illustrations. Number one, what's the best $30 investment you've ever made? So if you give a, a Christmas gift, sometimes 25 or 30 bucks is about the limit you kind of put up there because it's like a nice round amount of something you can buy for a family member without breaking the bank, Um, but still something you can get nice for somebody. But there's a story I read this week of a man who bought a drawing for $30 in Concord, Massachusetts at an estate sale, bought a drawing that he found. And this took place in 2016 following the passing of an architect named John Paul Carlihan. And apparently this man had inherited this drawing from his grandfather who bought it in Paris in 1919. Um, and apparently he never hung it up in his house because he didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, and he thought maybe it wasn't worth very much. But when he died, he had this estate sale and this man stopped by and bought this drawing. And long story short, it turns out that this is a Albrecht Drewer drawing of the Madonna and Child called The Virgin and Child with a Flower on a Grassy Bank. And an art collector uh, was brought into the discussion after this man bought the drawing, and this painting is now estimated to be worth $50 million. A $30 investment that turned out to be worth at least $50 million. It's currently being showcased in museums around the world. Illustration number two. I saw a headline this week in the news that says, quote, bank accidentally deposits $176 million into people's accounts on Christmas Day across 75,000 transactions. So you can do the math. 176 million divided by 75,000. That's an estimate of what showed up randomly into some people's bank account on Christmas Day. Can you imagine opening up your bank account and seeing hundreds of thousands of dollars there that weren't there previously? It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. Unfortunately the bank, um, unfortunately for the people, I guess for the bank it was fortunate, they were able to rectify the mistake and get the money back out of people's bank accounts. So they didn't actually keep the money. But I wonder what's going through your heart or your mind as I tell those two stories about the value of money, the value of what, is, what, what are things that are worthwhile to you, what are you know, the worthiness of investments, I mean, I think any of us would take that offer of buying a $30 painting and it turning out to be $50 million worth of art. I think all of us would, would take that deal. But the question that I think is behind that is why? What is it about that that draws you into this place of excitement or exuberance or joy? Today, we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of worship itself. Worship so as we begin the new year, 2022, we're going to be spending the next month or two leading up to Lent, beginning next week, looking at the book of James and talking a little bit about what James 1 shows us about who the person of Jesus is and what he, what he pulls our heart into, what, what, what makes our heart like his heart. And then when we enter into Lent, we're going to spend those 40 days that lead up to Easter Specifically, each Sunday, looking at different spiritual disciplines, things like fasting, things like prayer, things like solitude, things like study. But before all those two things, the heart of God and learning to be like Jesus and spiritual disciplines, we're going to start the new year with worship. Worship. What is worship? And why is it so important? We meet as a church to worship. We exist as humans to worship. We are worshiping people. The church is a worshiping church. What is worship? You'll notice in the passage we read this morning that the wise men came to worship. So what is worship? The big idea of this morning is that when you understand worship, what worship is, you recognize that the best angle at which to view life is from the ground looking up. That if you are to really see the world as God wants you to see the world, the best angle at which to sit to see the world is actually when you are prostrate on the ground looking up this way that's that posture that physical posture that actually is where true life is found where you can see things the most clearly is that what is that what you would have guessed that that's the best place to see all of life see because when i think of how to see the most i think of getting as high as you can we were just on an airplane a couple of days ago after seeing some family and you look out the window and you can see everything. That'd be a good place to view the world, right? Where you can see the most. But worship teaches us that it's actually from the ground looking up that you can see life the most truly. So let's, let's talk about worship a little bit. Point number one, every person in the world is a worshiping person or another way you could say it is every person worships. So we have, I don't know, 30, 40 people in here today who are at a worship service. So we technically right now are worshipers. If, if you were to ask someone outside, what are the 30 people doing in there? Oh, they're at a worship service. They're worshiping, they're worshipers. But what I would tell those people outside, whatever they're doing right now from this 10.30 to 11.30 slot When a lot of churches are meeting, if they're not in a worship service, I would tell them they're still worshiping something. Because every person is a worshiping person. It's just a matter of what do you worship. As the first two illustrations tell us, a lot of people worship money. That's an easy one. Because we think that if we have money, then a lot of our problems will be solved. A lot of problems will be solved. But money is what a lot of people worship. Some people worship the idea of a connected family or a unified family because there's so many broken families in our world, unfortunately. A lot of people worship their work or their career or their worthwhileness with what they do from nine to five on a a given day. They put all all their worth into what am I producing in the world? What am I making of myself? Am I... Am I wasting my time, or am I actually doing something that is meaningful? Have I found my purpose in life? A lot of people worship that. Other ways to ask the question are, what mountains are you, tra- are you trying to climb in life? Or, to use the metaphor of this scripture, what star are you trying to follow? What do you exist for? Now, let's, just, let's change the angle for a second, because maybe I'm pressing too much on you right now. Let's think about your neighbor's. What do you know about your neighbors? When you look at your neighbors, what, do, what does it look like they live for? What makes them happy? What are they trying to accomplish? You can learn a lot by looking at your neighbor, your, your literal neighbor's life. Maybe they spend a lot of time cutting their grass and making their outside of their house look really nice. Maybe they're never at home because they're working all the time. Maybe they're super friendly and inviting people into their home all the time and are very hospitable and giving and welcoming. You can tell a lot about what people worship just by watching them and by getting to know them. Every person in the entire world worships something. And some of us worship ourselves. And what I mean by that is all of our life circles around you. We tell ourselves that's not what it's supposed to be like, but it just kind of ends up being that way, that all we think about is us, our needs, what we can do to make ourselves central. One pastor has a quote. He says, if the God you worship never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You see, because if you worship a God who has the audacity to challenge you and to disagree with you, it's because he is, or it, is offering you something that you can't offer yourself. If, no, if you never disagree with yourself, that means you're probably worshiping yourself. The people in this in the birth story of Jesus are described as wise men from the East. Or if you look at the another way to say it is the Magi. And the word magi probably helps us because it gets pretty close to a word that we use a lot in our modern world, and particularly in a city like Salem, you hear it a little bit more. Magi is a, just a little bit shorter than magician, magicians. And so the wise men from the East, there's been a lot of debate on what exactly these guys are, and we don't even know exactly how many they are. I know on our, the front of our bulletin, there's three of them. That's kind of the, the way that people have gone with it through the years, and that's because they brought three gifts But just because they brought three gifts doesn't mean it was three people necessarily. It could have been more. It could have been less. All we know is that there were wise men from the East who were magi. Most likely they came from Persia, which was also Babylon. And they they were probably priests who were experts in astrology, studying the stars, and interpretation of dreams and probably other occult arts. And they probably practice magic of some sense. In the modern world, you could call them pagans in some way. And yet they go from their land in the far east in Persia, east of Jerusalem. And they come to the west, to Jerusalem, to the center of Israel, because they saw a star that said a king is going to be born. So why did they come? They came to Jerusalem because they thought that's where the king would be, because that's where Herod, the king Herod was. So they thought maybe Herod's having another, another son, maybe a new king is coming. And as the story tells, they show up to Herod, and Herod's like, I'm not having any kids, so it's not my kingdom that's having, that's having any, any new birth here. And so Herod gets a little suspicious and defensive here. But they came because of the star that they saw. Something about a star they saw in the sky prompted them to immediate action, to stop what they were doing and to go. They left things behind, picked up gifts, and went far away because of a star. Again, these guys studied the stars. This was their job. They were astrologists. But a star came and they followed it. And it says they came to worship him. Again, all people are worshipers. And here are these pagans from a faraway kingdom. Again, think about it, Babylon. That's the nation that took Israel captive in the Old Testament. And they're coming to worship a new king. A star leads them into worship. So what is worship? True worship is for anybody because it's what we are all designed for. We're just waiting for the prompt to be led into it ourselves. When the presence of God woos us and calls us, we go. Even if you're a magician from a faraway nation who's worshiping other gods. When the presence of God woos and calls, we go. And when you come into the presence of God, you fall on the ground. And that's why the best angle to view the world is from the ground up. Because worship, the Greek word for worship, literally just means falling down. That's what the word means. Worship is falling down. To kiss the feet of someone who you are below. If the king is standing before you, you are on the ground before him, worshiping him. Can't you just imagine what these magi were doing before they saw the star? They were doing some kind of magic arts. They were watching the stars. They were searching for wisdom in the sky. And then they saw. They saw something that wooed them to a faraway land. And this is the second point. Every person is a worshiping person. The second point is, worship is seeing. is having your eyes open to something that you otherwise never would have seen before. The wise men saw, in verse 2 is what it says, we saw his star. So what did they see? They saw his star, and they recognized right from the beginning that it was a star of a king. They didn't know who the king was, or much less that it was the king of kings. They just saw the star, and they knew it was his star, his being the new king. Their eyes were opened through this shining star. And when did they see it? They saw it when it rose in the east. As soon as it began rising, they saw it. They said, we haven't seen that before. Here it comes. What is that? Let's study that. We need to go worship the king who's coming because of that star. The timing here was right. I don't know how many shining stars there were in the east at that time. I don't know if this was a common thing or not, but there was something about this particular one that drew these pagan wise men who practiced magic arts To see that one at that time and say, we need to follow that because somebody needs to be worshipped. Don't you see the timing here? And I think this is relevant for you and me because the timing of how our eyes are opened to the wooing of God's call is different for each of us. This was the time for them to see it and to go and to worship. They saw it when others didn't see it. Don't you think if there was a giant star that was rising up in the sky that a lot more than just a couple of wise men would see it? But these guys saw it, and they went to worship. Come, we've come to worship him, verse 2 is what it said. And then more. Go to verse 10. It says, after they went to visit Herod, and he said, okay, let me know whenever you're there so I can come worship him, which is code for Herod's going to come and destroy this rival king. In verse 10, it says when they saw the star again, they, exceeded, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Which means they rejoiced a whole lot. If you look at the, if you look at the original translation here, there's four different ways that it says they were joyful. They were joy, 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 joy. That's basically what it's saying here. They were filled with a lot of joy because of the star. Their, their hearts welled up. Their souls welled up. And in verse 11, they saw not the star anymore. They saw the child with his mother. And when they saw the child, they did something that they didn't do when they saw the star. You see, when they saw the star, they got up and chased after it. They followed it. They didn't worship the star. They saw a lesser light in the sky. And then the lesser light led them to the true light the light of the world that we talked about on Christmas Eve. And when they saw the true light, they didn't follow him at that moment. They fell down and worshiped him. They worshiped an infant baby. Jesus was the object of worship all along. So you see, worship itself, what you and I are doing in this service right now, through singing, through prayer, through listening to the word of God, worship is actually seeing the presence of God through spiritual eyes. You see, worship is not seeing the star in the sky or seeing the Virgin Mother or seeing King Herod or seeing your favorite worship song on the bulletin this morning or seeing the beautiful stained glass window or seeing your community when you're here. Worship is seeing the living God spiritually. Worship is about seeing the Son of God in his glory, the fulfillment of all the longings of mankind throughout the ages. It's about seeing the hope of the world. It's about seeing the rest that is provided for your soul. Seeing the promised one from the scriptures. Seeing the sacrifice for your sins in your heart. Seeing the righteousness of God in flesh in the person of Christ. You see, we, we see a lot of things in the world today with our, our physical eyes. Some of us need some help with glasses and things. But we see a lot of physical things. But to see Christ, to see God, to see spiritual significance really requires your eyes to be opened by the one who's revealing himself. And that's what epiphany is all about. Epiphany means revelation. It means Manifestation—it means showing Himself, and God shows us Himself in the person of Jesus. Maybe I don't know if you watched any TV the last week or so. I've watched a lot because I watch a lot of football, and therefore I watch a lot of TV. But there's a new commercial that's been out for the a new iPhone, and the new iPhone has a new uh, camera on it for filming videos. And there's a new commercial out where it's two guys sitting in a car, and the guy in the front, you can see very clearly. It's like focused on him. And the guy in the background is all blurred out. And they start talking back and forth, and the man in the back says, why am I so out of focus? And the guy who's in focus says, it's because you're not the main part of the commercial. And he's like, well, how do I become the main part of the commercial? And he says, well, you need to do something significant. And so he says something significant, and then it zooms in on him. I guess the new iPhone has a feature where it blurs out the background if it's not something you're focusing on. But you see, spiritually speaking, worship is the blurring out of you and me and the focusing on the person of Jesus, because he is the significant one in the story. And so worship happens when you humble yourself, acknowledge your need, recognize your sin, take a leap of faith onto the one who is significant, Ask him to catch you when you make that jump and then fall before him because you recognize that he is the one who is able to be leaned on and able to save. He will exalt you. The book of Hebrews says that we are to look to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I keep saying this week after week, but one of the great promises of the Bible is that God says, if you earnestly seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And you'll know it when you found him because your eyes are opened. The eyes of your heart are opened and you worship him. Last thing I want to say before we take the Lord's Supper together is that there's, there's a phrase that we love to use in the world today, which is, It's not about the destination, it's about the journey, right? It's this idea that as you're on your way, that's where you discover most about life. And I think that's very true in a lot of cases. We're on a journey together. We learn a lot through the journey of life. But you see, worship is actually the destination of all of life. It's not the journey itself. Worship is the end goal of all things, Again, the reason the church exists, the reason you and I exist, the end of all that we do is the worship of the one true God. Worship is not a journey, worship is the end result of all things. And everything you do on a daily basis is towards the end of worship. Your job can be a worshipful experience. Taking your kids to soccer practice can be an experience of worship. Retirement can be a worship experience. Your sleep, your relationship, your meals, what you listen to on the radio, all of it is for the glory of God and for the worship of him because we are full-life, whole-life worshipers. That's what we're designed to do. We find our, our breath when we worship God with all that we do. It's not just this one hour on a Sunday morning this is the point we get to do it together but your whole life is meant for the glory of god there's a beautiful quote here by elizabeth barrett browning who says earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush is a fire with god but only he who sees takes off his shoes the rest of us just sit around and pluck blackberries You see, if we see life through the lens of God, then we see that all of life is aflame with his presence, and therefore we can worship him through all that we do. Worship is what life is all about, the glory of God. He created you to worship him, and that's where your life finds its deepest significance. And that's where the church finds its deepest significance. The end of the Bible in Revelation there are just a couple of beautiful images, and one of the images is John in Revelation 22. John's the writer of Revelation. He says, "I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me." But the angel said to me, "You must not do that." He's like, "Don't worship me." He said, like, "I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets." and with those who keep the words of this book. And then he says, worship God. Worship God. That's one of the last things that the Bible says. The other image in Revelation is an image of every creature on on heaven and on earth falling down before the Lamb and worshiping God together. You see, it, it says in the Scriptures, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That is the destiny of life, the worship of God. And we get to participate in that in the current day. There's a pastor's biography that I read this week. His name is Eugene Peterson. And one of the central parts of his life was, he said, the number one thing a pastor can do every week is stand up at the pulpit and say, let us worship God. That's the pastor's job. That's his only job, really, is to come up and encourage people to say, let us worship God, because that's ultimately what it's all about, is the worship of God together. Let me just close with this little story of another church uh, in England, two churches, actually, in this, this story. I'll just read it for you. It says, a group of American Christians in the 19th century planned to visit London for a week and their friends were excited for the opportunity, encouraged them to go hear two of London's famous preachers and bring back a report. On Sunday morning after their arrival, the Americans attended Joseph Parker's church, who was a well-known preacher at the time in London, I guess, and they discovered that his reputation for eloquent speaking was well-deserved. One of them exclaimed after the service, I do declare it must be said, for there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher that there ever was," end quote. The group wanted to return in the evening for the service to hear Parker again, but then they remembered that their friends would ask them about another preacher named Charles Spurgeon. So on Sunday evening, they decided to go to the evening service at Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon was preaching, and the group was not prepared for what they had heard. And as they departed from the service, one of them again spoke up quote, I do declare, it must be said, for there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that there ever was. See the difference of worship? It's about Jesus Christ being the takeaway, it's not about the preacher being the takeaway. It's not about the ministry being the takeaway. When you encounter and when you see Jesus for who he truly is, when your eyes are open spiritually to see that significance, there can be no doubt, as they said, Jesus Christ is the greatest savior there ever was. So friends, let's get on the ground together because the best angle for life is looking up at Jesus together. Let's fall before him and see his deep significance for life. May that be what 2022 is defined by, a true encounter of worship with the living God. Lord Jesus, we do desire to worship you, but we can't can't force ourselves to worship. We need you to show yourself to us. So Lord, for 2022, would you show yourself deeply, afresh to us, or for the first time, We long to have our purpose in life fulfilled and we know it can be fulfilled only by something outside of ourselves. That's our prayer. Show us yourself, risen Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.